It's not exactly an argument, <clears throat> but Joshua isn't being easy on the people of Israel in the scripture for today. He says to them that now is the time to decide. Are you pledging yourself to God or not? They are in the promised land, and this is a new chapter of their lives together, and it's time to reevaluate their commitments and their practices. It's time to renew the covenant. The people say, yes, yes, we are with you. We are with God. We choose God. We will worship God. We will serve God. After all, God brought us out of Egypt and through the wilderness and into the promised land. We choose God. We will serve God. It's the answer that Joshua has been hoping for, right? The people are recommitting to the covenant with God, the long-standing, enduring covenant that started with their ancestor Abraham. Isn't this the right answer? We would expect that to be the case, but Joshua seems to put on the brakes. You cannot serve God, he says. You don't know what you're saying, because if you say you're with God and then turn out to not be with God, you are doomed. You can't do it. Forget it. No, no, the people say, we are in, we choose God. We will do what we've said we will do. We are in, we will serve God. Okay, says Joshua, but don't say I didn't tell you so because you are now witnesses against yourselves. That means that if you don't uphold your own promises, this testimony that you have given today will be testimony that is presented against you. And they agree, and that's how the covenant is renewed. Joshua himself makes a renewed promise to God, a renewed covenant with God. The people want in on the promise too. They want to be on the right team. Joshua resists. He cautions them. They push back with their determination regarding this renewed promise, and he finally agrees. Their promise is accepted. Now, as this unfolds, I don't think Joshua is playing a game with them, testing them in order to trick them or lure them into moving closer. He's not employing reverse psychology, denying them access so that they will want something they don't actually want, and they will want it even more. I think he truly wants to know what their intentions are. He wants to know how serious they are, how committed they are, how willing they are to put their lives, their futures on the line. He wants to be sure, and he wants them to be sure. No easy yes. The message he wants them to hear is this. If you are committed, you need to be committed. Now and later, and even later than later. There's no allowance for the casual promise here, no easy in, and therefore on down the road and easy out. This is a covenant, not an arrangement. This promise, we will serve the Lord, is a covenant. But of course, you know that a promise, a covenant, doesn't prove itself until it is kept over time. The promise the people make on this covenant renewal day in this very last chapter of the book of Joshua is still only a set of words at this point. It's only words until enough time passes that it is proved to be true. So you can say, this is who I am, or this is what I promise to do, but until time has gone by and you've shown that you are who you say you are, 
and you've shown that you will do what you promise to do, the promise is only a set of words. It's only an expressed intention. Why is Joshua so worked up in this scripture story about whether or not the people are really, really committed, really, really understanding of what it is they are promising to do? Why does he try to push them away at first? Why does he say, you are witnesses against yourselves? I think the obvious answer is that he wants to make it crystal clear that a covenant with God is nothing to be trifled with. You either take it seriously or you're better off walking away because making a promise that you don't really intend to keep, making a promise that you hardly take seriously, making a promise that is part of the convenience of the moment is foolhardy and false. Be true. Be real. Be committed. Don't say, yeah, well, probably I will stick with it. I may or may not serve God. It kind of depends. Don't do that. Either turn yourself fully toward God with intention, with integrity, or walk away. Often we are slaves to our circumstances, slaves to our feelings, our feelings of frustration or irritation or disappointment. We find it hard to be who we said we would be, persons of faith, of faithfulness, of forgiveness, of respect, when things don't go our way. We're committed to loving the enemy until the actual enemy shows up. We're promised to be people of peace until someone gets our goat. We declare ourselves advocates for justice until we tally up what it might cost us. We promise to serve God until it occurs to us that serving God might mean sacrificing something we have taken for granted or something that contributes to our comfort. And that doesn't mean that every time we are called to step up to what we've said we are about and we realize that it's going to be harder or more costly than we expected, that we do a 180 degree turn, that we act in completely the opposite way that we said we would act or that befits our faith. More likely, we are shaving off the edges or turning away by small degrees. Our integrity is nibbled away rather than thrown away. So it's good that there is this thing called accountability. We need each other. We need to pay attention to each other in order to have someone to check us in that moment when we are shaving the edges to have someone who says, you said this, but you're doing that. Why is that? Who are you? Joshua is right. You can't say, I'm in, unless you really mean it. And if you mean it, if you really intend to live the life of integrity, well then, be very careful that you focus more on taking those small and consistent steps in that direction rather than trumpeting your grand declarations. Over time, it's what you do that counts. In the moment of pressure or crisis or uncertainty, it's what you do that counts. Your words aren't your only promise. Your life is your promise too. On the other side of things, know this. Actions may speak louder than words, but words matter too. That is to say, 
promises need to be spoken and lived. Here's a story that came across my news feed this past week on election day. It was in the Indianapolis Star, and then it got picked up by USA Today. It caught my attention not only because it was one of the few stories that day that wasn't about the election, but because of the title. I guess that's how my parents raised me. High school runner Ben Bordley did not realize his sportsmanship could have resulted in disqualification, not that it would have mattered. In Saturday's Indiana State cross-country meet at Terre Haute, the Penn High School runners saw Brebeuf Jesuit's Fazen Khan fall as both approached the finish. Bordley stopped to help, pulling on Khan's left arm to raise him to his feet before both continued running. I just kind of saw it and did it, Bordley said on Monday. I guess that's how my parents raised me. They taught me to treat others how I'd want to be treated and to be helpful when I can. The moment was captured on video and posted on Twitter. Some of Bordley's friends saw the incident on a live stream and immediately texted. Others told him it was pretty cool, he said. Khan connected with Bordley via Instagram on Sunday to thank him. By rule, a runner can be disqualified for assisting another, but an Indiana High School Athletic Association official reviewed the incident and decided no violation occurred. According to the IHSAA, the official applied NFHS Rule 4-6-5, a competitor who provides assistance to an injured or ill competitor should not be disqualified if neither the individual competitor providing the assistance nor his or her team gains an advantage as a result of providing the assistance. Out of 207 finishers, Bordley was 189th and Khan was 193rd, or eight seconds behind the pen runner. Neither was in his team scoring five, so a DQ would have been irrelevant. Neither runner wanted to be that far back in the race. Khan said he had been affected by seasonal allergies. Bordley said he too wasn't in the best place but wanted to help the other runner because I knew that if it was me, he said, I would want to make sure I'd finish. Bordley, an 18-year-old senior, ranks number six in his class and has not yet picked a college. Penn coach Tom Miller described him as hardworking and well-mannered. Khan began having trouble breathing at the four-kilometer mark of the 5,000-meter race and later felt shooting pain through his thighs and lower back. He said he fell about five times. Then Ben came and helped me, Khan said. I told him, go finish, I can't. After finishing, Khan received medical attention. He said he could not stand until an hour afterward. At the end of the race, that's when your true priorities show, Khan said. I know what Ben's priorities are and what his true character is like. Okay, you say, one more feel-good story about an athlete who helps his opponent complete the competition. If you heard one of these stories, you've heard them all. Okay, maybe. Except did you catch where these two runners finished in the competition? 189th and 193rd out of 207. Neither finished in a position to add points for their team. In the scheme of competition, their races didn't matter. Whether they even finished didn't matter to anyone else. They were both having a horrible day. And yet it does matter. What we do on the worst day 
maybe matters the most. What we do when we feel defeated or exhausted or maybe undone matters most. What we do, not because there is an advantage to be gained, but because we have a kind of core integrity that bubbles up to the surface in that moment matters. When there's no calculation being made, it matters. When we are being who we are, simply because that's who we are, it matters. When we serve others, it matters. Because serving others is a clear way to serve God. I watched the video posted on Twitter of what happened there just short of the finish line. Khan was probably no more than five yards ahead of Bordley when he collapsed. And in the video, Bordley, without a second thought, stops to help him up as other runners keep running by. It was clearly nothing planned. It's not as if he saw Khan far ahead and had time to think, now what shall I do? How will it look? No, the other runner collapses just yards ahead of him and he instinctively pauses to help him up because that's who you are and so that's what you do. I just kind of saw it and did it, Borley said Monday. I guess that's how my parents raised me. They taught me to treat others how I'd want to be treated and to be helpful if I can. I mean, honestly, if he had been disqualified for helping his competitor, it might have made a better story. Boy sacrifices his own finish in final race to help another finish. Or if they'd both been at the front of the pack, so the act of helping would have meant something in terms of the competitive result. But that's not what happened. It's just that he saw another human struggling, and his own humanity kicked in. I guess that's how my parents raised me. They taught me to treat others how I'd want to be treated and to be helpful when I can. Over and over and over, we get to choose who we are and who we want to be. Each day, each moment of each day, we get to choose who we are and who we want to serve. Again and again, we are given the opportunity to match our words with our actions. Sometimes it's a big moment, a big opportunity, a big choice. And sometimes it's just whatever comes into view right in front of us. We get to choose. Selfishness or service. Expediency or integrity. Advantage or justice? Materialism or relationship? Pride or openness? Boasting or humility? And whatever we choose, we are not only witnesses against ourselves, we are witnesses for ourselves. We are witnesses for God. The early brethren wanted to be known not just by what they said, but by the manner of their living. They wanted to be known to use the two words that Joshua uses when he calls for the renewal of the covenant. They wanted to be known for their sincerity 
and their faithfulness. Choose this day whom you will serve, Joshua says to the people. And their answer is this, we will serve the Lord. And what about us? What will we choose this day and in the days ahead? What will we declare with our words, but also our actions? At the start and at the finish, what will we choose? Who will we choose? Amen. Please join me in some moments of silent prayer and reflection.